We move ahead on a Wednesday into midday on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Dirk Christensen, and uh, arrayed all around me are the programs, the information, and the people who will bring it all to you in the course of the next couple of hours here on your station of the Rural Radio Network. It's first up, Joe Gangwish with WASD numbers. Didn't well, it? yeah, we like had a WASD report. We're already trading weather, so Dewey mm. will have the full rundown for you and some reaction to that in just minutes. You don't have to wait very long for that. He'll have Arlen Suderman with him here from INTLFC Stone. They'll visit with that at 1134. Also, senators asking whether Trump advisor violated insider trading laws in the biofuels market. That will come up in Ag News as well at 1213. At 1219, we'll get an update from the American Soybean Association's Washington office. Jesse Harding, of course, was there last week for Washington Watch in D.C. She'll give us an update at 1219. Our newsmaker today, Fred Zawanacek, talking about his 40 years at the Nebraska Office of Highway Safety. Brandon Bennett's will have that interview at 1245. Susan's with us at 117, talking with Congressman Colin Peterson on the dairy issue with Canada. I guess he gets a little chippy in his comments, if I can use that sports term. You may. (laughs) All right. You have permission. Very good. Do what you need to do. All right. All right. Thank you very much. We need the most descriptive way possible to make that happen. Chippy or wedgie? (laughs) Maybe he gives Canada a wedgie in his comments. We'll find out. Ow. Oh, oh. Well, we'll just have to wait for that. It's over over dairy. Maybe uh, they're lactose intolerant. I don't know. Let's move on over very quickly before this gets too far out of hand to Jason Jorgensen. I don't know if things will get chippy tonight between Nebraska and Creighton, but they will finish up their three-game series in Omaha. Nebraska took game one. Creighton won game two. NU has been playing very well. They entered the ratings this week for the first time in two years. Have not been ranked in a while. So they'll try to keep it rolling tonight against the Jays. Also, it's a big day for high school sports across the state. Uh, Boys State soccer tournament is underway in Class A in Omaha. We'll have an update for you coming on as uh, Carney and Grand Island are squaring off at this time. Also, district track this week. District track meets taking place today in Classes A and D. Hopefully the showers hold off for most of the track meets across the state. Then tomorrow, classes B and C will go. So everything is rapidly coming to a close. Yeah. How many times will Creighton and Nebraska tangle this year? Seems like this will be the third. This will be the third time. Is Unless that the last they one? were, yes, third yeah. and last one. Which I've, I've always thought this is kind of cool. Have a yeah, series is. long, right. three game series between these two, and they've yeah. done this for quite a while. And they always play one game in Lincoln, usually one game in Lincoln, and then the yeah. other two games are in Omaha. Well, it's nice to see some baseball in the TD Ameritrade Park once in a while. Well, that's what they build it for. <laughs> Might as well use it other two times, other two times uh, for yeah. two weeks out of the year. Exactly. All right, Bob Brogan, what's up in news? Stocks are mixed in midday trading on Wall Street after several big U.S. companies reported disappointing first quarter results. Speaking of chippy, chipmaker NVIDIA. Oh. Soared 14% after reporting earnings that were far higher than analysts so were clever. expecting. So we uh, we had to get that in there. Yeah. Um, also, the Senate has blocked a move to overturn a methane rule. And uh, settlement talks over money for 13-year Gulf oil leak. So those are some of the things that we're watching, including chippy stuff. And I just want to say, Bob, you're a chip off the old block. (laughs) A chip off the old Brogan. All right, that's all coming up for you today on Midday. 
Time to check some ag weather now. It's brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, and we have Paul Perkins. And some hefty rainfall totals in quite a few locations. Last night, they had some minor flooding problems overnight in central Hamilton County. That's where some radar estimates of around three to four inches of rain. One rain weather station reporting about two and three quarters of an inch of rain with that system. And also a report of about two and a half inches ran along the Phelps County and Gosper County lines. Now, we can see some pretty torrential rainfall develop here in, what, northern Kansas? Yes, uh, because this system is going to be a little bit farther to the south tonight. That main area of low pressure expected to move through. And, yeah, north-central Kansas looking at the potential maybe of some localized heavy rains. And, of course, with on top of the rains that we got last night could bring in some localized flooding. Uh, We do have some slow-moving low pressure, another wave of low pressure, the main low. Right now it's over New Mexico. That will track to the Oklahoma Panhandle by tomorrow morning. This front, it's currently right near the Nebraska-Kansas border, gradually sinks to the south today. That front, the focus for more thunderstorm chances later today and tonight. Now, since that front is a lot farther to the south, your higher chances for thunderstorms over southern Nebraska into all of Kansas. Some heavy rains. Possible tonight in north central Kansas could cause localized flooding. And as far as the severe weather risk goes, a small portion of the southeast part of Nebraska, basically Nebraska City down to around Marysville, in a slight risk for severe storms. Otherwise, the main brunt of severe weather tonight going to be over eastern and southern portions of Kansas. Or if you're along and southeast of a line from Nebraska City to Concordia to Hayes to Tribune, Kansas. And that's where the Storm Prediction Center does have a slight risk of severe storms. These thunderstorm chances move a lot farther south as this area of low pressure exits for tomorrow. Then we'll see a ridge of high pressure return some mainly dry conditions and warmer temperatures as we head towards Friday and the weekend. Monday afternoon into Tuesday, there is a chance we could see a dry line set up just to the southwest. That may bring us a chance for some thunderstorms that could bring in some severe weather. In our long-term forecast, the temperature outlook predicts it to be near normal to slightly warmer than normal in Nebraska and Kansas. Monday through May 23rd, some cooler than normal air gets close to western areas towards the 23rd. A trough of low pressure sets up across the western third of the U.S. in that long term. Now we'll keep Nebraska and Kansas active with good chances of above normal precipitation once again Monday through the 23rd. Soil temperatures at the 4-inch depth at 7 this morning in the low 50s. In northwest and north-central Nebraska, elsewhere in Nebraska, soil temperatures ranged about 55 to 60. And in nearly all of Kansas, your soil temperatures in the low 60s. In the markets today, weather factors include the continued variability in Midwest conditions and more rain chances across the southern plains. A storm system over the southwest gradually drifting to the east. That will result in a band of active weather from the central plains into the mid-Atlantic, including the already soggy mid-south. Here in the plains, that rain is helping. Pastures rated good to excellent at 80% right now in Nebraska. Drier and warmer conditions across the northern plains and north, northern, northwest Midwest will help out with their field work. But the wet and cool pattern persisting in the south and east part of the Midwest is slowing down that planting. But drier and warmer conditions are expected in their 10-day forecast. Across the Canadian prairies, very warm conditions allowed the soil to warm and dry to help with their planting. That's after a very wet trend last month that slowed their field work. If planting lasts into June, there are some worries of summer heat damage or loss from an early freeze in the fall. In north central Ukraine, a lack of rain intensifying the short-term drought that may leave their soil moisture in short supply for corn planting 
and emergence. Ag weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer in Holdridge, Lexington, Alda, and Ravenna. You can phone them at 308-995-4000. I guess the good thing about this is we're going to get some nice, maybe beneficial rain for quite a bit of it, and then it warms up, gets dried out a little bit for the weekend. It's time to get some people out in the field to plant this thing. Yeah, it? exactly. Uh, I kind of just have to go in between these rains right now. It looks like a window will open up over the weekend after these rains that move through, and Probably most of Nebraska are going to miss out on a lot of it, especially the farther north you go with tonight's system. The better chances of rain tonight in the south. Been pretty healthy lately, though, in terms of the rainfall. So uh-huh, that's so. Make that work for you. And when you need weather anytime, it's a KRVN.com. report out today. I'm Joe Gangwish here on the Roll Radio Network. Some of the numbers for a USDA came in at analyst projections in one of the first look at the 2017-2018 new crop ending stocks for corn, but we're on the low end of pre-report estimates for new crop soybean ending stocks. USDA released their WASDE report this morning and coming out on corn ending stocks at 2.11 billion bushels. Right at the pre-report average, USDA maintained production for the newly planted crop at 14.06 billion bushels. The 2017-2018 soybean ending stocks at 480 million. That was 88 million bushels below the pre report average. 2017-2018 winter wheat production is pegged at 1.25 billion bushels, down 25% from last year. As of May 1st, the yield forecast was at 48.8 bushels per acre. That's down 6.5 from last year's record yields. These numbers, however, do not likely factor in the impact that we saw from last weekend's winter storm on the crop. And a large chunk of the decline in winter wheat production came from Kansas, where the average yield now is pegged at 42 bushels per acre, down from 57 last Last year, production of the 2017-2018 crop in Kansas is expected to be at 289.8 million bushels, down 38 percent from the 16-17 crop. Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone, Arlen Suderman, says with some bullish news now, the market really kind of staying calm today. That tells me everyone's saying, okay, that's good, so we're going to let this rising tide lift our boat. But we're not exactly going to get in there and and quickly unwind all of our big short positions either. So it's a fairly measured response. And the market's relaxing just a bit now as we move through the midday hour. Suderman added that the fundamental numbers are a lot less bearish than before today. And you can rally a market under those circumstances if you have some outside market uh, support. Well, an investigation into whether White House advisor Carl Icahn has violated insider trading laws, anti-market manipulation laws, or any other relevant laws based on his recent actions in the market for renewable fuels credits, that is being called for by eight Democratic senators. The letter was sent to the Securities and Exchange Commission, Commodity Futures Trading Commission, and also the EPA. The lawmakers have previously pressured ICON and the White House for more information on his activities relative to his proposal to reconfigure biofuels rules which impacted the prices for renewable identification numbers or RINs. ICON is a majority shareholder in CBR Energy. That's a firm required to show compliance with U.S. biofuels policy. A White House staffer reportedly called an official in Canada last month to ask the nation to persuade Donald Trump 
to not terminate the North American Free Trade Agreement. Multiple media outlets say the call came when Trump was preparing an executive order to end the free trade agreement between the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. White House staff apparently asked for Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to call President Trump to persuade him not to terminate NAFTA. The call is one of many steps thought to change Trump's decision on NAFTA to renegotiate the deal rather than terminate the entire agreement. Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue also met with the president at the time and presented a map showing the economic harm terminating the deal may have on U.S. agriculture. Perdue, meanwhile, said over the weekend that NAFTA could be renegotiated within the next six months. And the Department of Agriculture yesterday announcing it would delay implementation of the final organic livestock standards rule until November 14th of this year. That rule was published in January in the final days of the Obama administration and USDA taking an additional six months to allow time for further consideration. More on that story at RuralRadio.com. I'm Joe Gangwish. One of the major topics of conversation in Washington, D.C. has been the North American Free Trade Agreement. For the World Radio Network, I'm Jossie Harding. With me is Patrick Derlaney. He is the director of the American Soybean Association. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what's been going on here in D.C.? You know, anytime you're talking about withdrawing from a trade agreement that represents $3 billion in, uh, in soybean sales and soybean product sales to Canada and Mexico, it's going to make us a little bit nervous. And so uh, we were very happy to see uh, the president walk away from that uh, towards the end of the week. Clearly, there are opportunities to make NAFTA better. Uh, that's something that we support. We support the idea of modernizing to gain access uh, even further for soybean products to those markets, and especially also to gain access for the meat products that uh, that require soybean meal here as as animal feed. But it's something that you know as we move forward, we know the president has ideas on trade. I think we are benefited uh, by having. Uh, guys like uh, like Secretary Purdue and and others in the uh, administration that really understand what trade brings for agriculture and what trade means in terms of a market creator for uh, and a demand creator for for soybeans here in the United States. So, um, you know, we're going to keep a watchful eye, but I, I think uh, crisis averted for for now, and and we'll see what happens next. Since that time, when it comes to talks about NAFTA, what is it that the Soybean Association would like to see if that was to be renegotiated on the soybean aspect? I think those last uh, those last remaining trade barriers. I think there weren't a whole lot that were standing on our way in in terms of access to Mexico and Canada. But things like some of the barriers to animal ag entry and those kind of secondary market creators for us are, are things that we'd like to sit down and talk about. Busy week in Washington D.C. with the confirmation of Secretary Purdue sitting down. I believe on his first full day was a trade task force of producers across the United States. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that and how soybeans fit in? That's something that we were uh, we were very pleased to see. What you're talking about is the uh, is the interagency task force on agriculture and rural prosperity. That's something that uh, the whole reason for being there is to identify areas where the rural economy and the agricultural economy can be more successful. Uh, one of those uh, is, is regulation and looking at regulations from past administrations and figuring out how do we lessen the barrier for farmers, lessen the burdens for farmers, so that they can continue to be good stewards of the land, of the water, of the soil, of the air, uh, while at the same time still innovating and still being the kind of job creators and the economic engines that we know they are. And so uh, we feel that Secretary Purdue is going to do a great job with that, and it's something that we're happy to see. Anytime, like I said, you have people in the administration that really understand agriculture, which we think Secretary Purdue does, that's a benefit for us. And so we're excited to see the task force get to work, and, uh, and we look forward to big things. 
first week for Secretary Sonny Perdue, really starting to get a feel of things. What are your thoughts and feelings here in D.C. and that you see from other people moving forward? How has the first week really set them up for the rest of the year? USDA is a really big place, and it's something that you have so many different touch points with farmers around the country. Everything from your local FSA office to the work that we do overseas as a cooperator with USDA FAS. And so what we're excited to see is the ball get rolling. Uh, like I said, Secretary Purdue gets it. He understands agriculture. And so what we need to have happen now is we need to start seeing those folks get put in place that are really going to be the faces and the touch points every single day between the agriculture industry and USDA. Very capable men and women, people who really understand the passion of that farmers have for uh, for ag and the land. And, and I think it's going to be a good partnership. And so as we ramp up, as we staff up, I, I think we're looking again for, for big things. We've been talking with Patrick Delaney. He's the Director of Policy Communications with the American Soybean Association, discussing some of his feelings here in D.C. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. Midday on the Rural Radio Network continues, and with the sports, here's Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, Nebraska and Creighton finish up their season-long three-game series tonight in Omaha. Of course, Nebraska won game one, Creighton won game two a couple of weeks back on April 18th. Now, Nebraska enters the rankings this week for the first time in two years. The Huskers are ranked 25th at Baseball America and 26th by Collegiate Baseball. First pitch tonight is set for 7 o'clock in Omaha. District track starts up today in Nebraska. Classes A and D, classes B and C are set for tomorrow. And this Saturday, it's the 8th annual Nebraska Championship track meet in Gothenburg. It serves as the junior high state championship, and one of the organizers' themes has been the road to Burke goes through Omaha. Meet director Jim Clark says this has been a great adventure. What's fun is to see the kids that were in those first meets They've now gone through a high school career. I, I'm now able to see several of them in collegiate careers, and it's those same old names. It's the same kids that came through Gothenburg or the ones that you're hearing about uh, head and lighting it down in Burke and, and various different uh, uh, sports. Clark is a USA track and field master level official. He says the level of competition continues to rise each year. The Nebraska championship meet starts this Saturday at 11 in Gothenburg. Well, Peyton Manning will become the first Indianapolis Colts player to have his jersey retired during a two-day celebration of his career this fall. The weekend begins with the unveiling of Manning statue outside Lucas Oil Stadium on October 7th and concludes the following day when he is inducted into the team's ring of honor and becomes the seventh player in franchise history with a retired number. Of course, he spent his first 13 seasons in Indy where he won four MVP awards and his first Super Bowl title. The Washington Capitals and Anaheim Ducks get the chance to exercise their Game 7 demons tonight. The Capitals will try to end years of frustration at the hands of the Pittsburgh Penguins tonight in Washington as the NHL's top two teams face off in Game 7 of their second-round series. And then later on tonight, the Anaheim Ducks will try to end their Game 7 losing streak when they host the Edmonton Oilers. And after winning the GPAC regular season title, Concordia baseball coach Ryan Dubik has been named GPAC Coach of the Year. The Bulldogs won the regular season crown, but were beaten last night by Midland for the postseason title. Each team is headed on to the national NAIA tournament. And the weather is not cooperating at the Boys State Soccer Tournament in Omaha. The tournament hit a delay this morning in the Creighton Prep Omaha South game. The match was tied in the first half when play was stopped due to lightning. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. 
There's a 20% chance of showers and thunderstorms after 4 o'clock today, otherwise cloudy with a high near 63. Tonight, a slight chance of showers and thunderstorms before 10. Then another slight chance of rain after 10, cloudy with a low near 47. For Thursday, 40% chance of showers and thunderstorms, mostly cloudy with a high near 65. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. Nebraska lawmakers gave final approval on Tuesday to the last three parts of the state's $8.9 billion two-year budget package. Among the measures passed was LB331, which creates fund transfers and lowers the minimum cash reserve requirement from 3 to 2.5% for the current biennium. The bill initially failed to pass with the emergency clause on a 31 to 12 vote, meaning that no funds could be created or transferred immediately. 33 votes were needed. Gearing Senator John Stenner, chairman of the Appropriations Committee, offered a motion to reconsider the vote. Without an emergency clause, the bill would not become a law until September 2nd. The current fiscal year ends June 30th. Stenner urged lawmakers to avoid a government shutdown during the two-month gap. I'm just trying to get a grip on my feelings right now. There's a little anger, a lot of disgust, a lot of frustrations. You people have better wake up. You've got to be accountable. If you want to shut this government down, those folks that didn't vote for this, I want you to stand up in front of the Capitol and tell every employee, 13,000 of them, why they're not going to get paid. The reconsideration motion was adopted 36 to 5, and LB 331 passed on a vote of 36 to 12. LB 327, the state's mainline budget bill, was passed on a vote of 36 to 12 after several motions were offered and withdrawn. Finally, LB 332, a bill that makes transfers to and from the cash reserve fund, passed 35 to 10. The governor has five calendar days, excluding Sunday, to sign, veto, in total, or line-item veto appropriations within the budget bills. State officials want to keep open at least three more years the Nebraska Center for People with Intellectual or Developmental Disabilities. The Nebraska Department of Health and Human Services officials announced the preliminary recommendations during a public hearing Tuesday in Lincoln. Officials say they need more time for a thorough evaluation of the Beatrice State Developmental Center as well as evaluations of other care options. Eric Evans, CEO of Disability Rights Nebraska, says his group supports the three-year plan but still thinks the center should be closed for good because its continued operation is not sustainable economically. The center has experienced turbulence over the 12 years with incidents of resident abuse, staff turnover, and seven years of federal oversights. News happens anytime, anywhere. Send word to us with a tip under the news tab at krvn.com. From the News Center, I'm Scott Foster. Brandon Bennett's with the Rural Radio Network talking with Fred Zwanacek. He's the Nebraska Highway Safety Administrator with the Department of Roads in Lincoln. Fred is celebrating his 40th anniversary working with the state. And Fred, give us a little bit of your background. Talk about how you came into this position and what led you into the Nebraska Office of Highway Safety to begin with. My background, uh, I'm a graduate of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln with a degree in sociology and social sciences, and uh, I actually always wanted to do public service. I really didn't see myself doing anything else, but it actually started pre-graduation. I went in to talk to the then our then legislative representative. I'm originally from DeWitt, Nebraska, and 
and Willard Waldo had been a longtime member of the legislature, and I went in to talk to him about if I wanted to really learn about state government, what would be the best thing to do and what kind of positions might there be. And one of the things that uh, he mentioned was uh, the budget office, either for the legislative side or the administrative side, the executive side. So one of those jobs came open, and I took that. And then one of the agencies that I was working on for budgets at the time happened to be the Department of Motor Vehicles, and within that was the Nebraska Highway Safety Office. And I uh, was walking down the hall one day in the Capitol, and uh, the then director of the Department of Motor Vehicles said, hey, we've got a position open in the Highway Safety Division, and, and would you be interested? And I got to thinking, you know, I'm interested in being in cars, <laughs> so and safety, and I thought, okay, so that's how kind of how it all started. And I started with the, the Highway Safety Office in 1974, actually, and became the administrator in 1981. Fred, over the course of your 40 really plus years working for the state of Nebraska, and especially for the Nebraska Office of Highway Safety, so much has changed, but yet I would imagine there's a lot of things that have stayed the same, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a lot different. You know, when I started, we only had uh, 1.3 million registered vehicles in Nebraska. We've now got 2.4 million. We had 1 million drivers. We've got 1,400,000 drivers. And we were averaging, uh, at the time, over 440 fatalities a year. We now average about 221. So there's a lot of things have changed. Vehicles have gotten better. Roadways have gotten better. You know, we're still trying to address the primary problem, and that happens to be the roadway user, most of which are drivers. Obviously, we've got pedestrians in there, too, and bicyclists, but any roadway user and trying to, trying to address and prevent fatalities and injuries from occurring. Brandon Bennett's with the Rural Radio Network, talking with Fred Zawanacek. He's a Nebraska Highway Safety Administrator with the Nebraska Office of Highway Safety. Fred, 40 years sounds like a long time, and in some ways I'm sure it is, but on the other hand, I would imagine it has flown by fairly quickly at times. What do you consider to be your greatest legacy in your 40 years in this office? You know, as I look back, uh, one of the things that we were the we became the first state to really actively collaborate and work with the state health department. Uh, I recognized early on that this was really a public health issue. Public health is always trying to address unintentional injuries, and uh, the biggest part of those, or a large part of those, the injuries and the long-term permanently disabling injuries as well as the fatalities, were on the traffic side. So engaging the health departments both at the state level and local level, and we were the first state to really do, the first state highway safety office that really started to do that. Uh, you know, that's one of the things, a uh, number of other things that occurred was, you know, we were among the first states to establish a motorcycle rider training course for beginning riders in the state. We were one of the first states to promote the citizens reporting suspected drunk drivers. Nebraska was one of the first states to start the drug recognition expert uh, training program for law enforcement officers. So those are some of the things I look back on that, you know, that we were among the first to do those things. Fred, let's flip that question around here. The last word is yours. What do the next 40 years look like for Fred Zawanacek? Is the big R word anywhere on your horizon somewhere? Well, it's certainly on the horizon, and I still do the work because, you know, you can actually look back and see the things. You're, you're changing people's lives. There's a lot of people alive today, hopefully, that some of the things that myself and our staff has have been able to do to help that happen. However, you know, we've got the emerging issues with distracted driving, especially with all the technology that's available today, which can help us, but it can also hurt us. We've also got the emerging issue with drugs and driving. We still haven't addressed the alcohol and driving issue satisfactorily. 
We're certainly killing a lot fewer people in alcohol-related crashes, but they still make up one out of three of our fatalities. we still got to get the remaining occupants that aren't wearing seatbelts to buckle up. Those are both challenges, and those are things I hope to work on even after I leave this job. I know I'll continue to work on that even in, even in the private side. That was Fred Zawanacek celebrating 40 years with the Nebraska Office of Highway Safety. Right now, he's the Nebraska Highway Safety Administrator, and this is Brandon Bennett's on the Rural Radio Network. We're back on the Rural Radio Network, and we're with Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. So, Joe, the question I ask, what? No limit moves today? Yeah, well... We were on expanded limits in the feeders. Yeah, that might have been a little too much for one day uh, or two days in a row. So uh, we uh, we just traded around. Now we did finish lower in the in the feeders, uh, with one exception, the uh, January contract, which did close higher. But the cattle uh, mixed uh, a little lower in the uh, uh, June August. The uh, rest of them. Uh, uh, through February a little just a little bit higher so we kind of settled down just a bit <clears throat> still remain with a lot of volatility because we ran up and down and up and down all day long in the cattle and uh, uh, I still think the uh, volatility will remain for quite some time haven't really heard of any uh, major sales take place cutouts were higher at noon an interesting uh, little tidbit on that was the uh, ground, the ground beef, uh, outpaced the uh, choice uh, today, and that's a little unusual. So that uh, continues to be a, a, a wonderment about uh, the cattle market. But anyway, uh, we're <clears throat> still on the same road. Uh, over in the hogs, finishing mixed. With the uh, nearby May closing a little higher, the rest of them a little bit lower. Cash still firm. Cutouts were off a little bit today. We've crossed the eighty uh, uh, cent mark or eighty dollar mark uh, on the uh, cutouts. Last time we did that, uh, we uh, ran into some trouble. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. According to one congressman, the issue with Canada and dairy comes down to one company. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Colin Peterson from the state of Minnesota said that there's been an underlying factor in this fluid milk issue where we saw dairy farmers in Wisconsin having to find new sources to sell their milk to. Now, this ultra-filtered milk issue, the only reason that that existed was because at the time we did NAFTA, ultra-filtered milk did not exist. And so that's why it's a loophole. Now, I haven't gotten to the bottom of this whole deal, but there's some fishy stuff going on here and information that's been put out that I think is not right. So I'll get to the bottom of this at some point. But I had somebody that I know that was approached to go in and supply this market to Canada, you know, because some person in the dairy industry had found a loophole and were, came to them and said, you know, we can sell this milk. You know, they turned them down. And the reason they turned them down is because they knew that this, as soon as the Canadians figured this out, they would close it down. And that's exactly what happened. So the people that were involved in this should have known, number one. Number two, 
you know, to say that one and a half million pounds of milk and from 75 producers, that you can't find a home for that with the amount of milk, you know, two, 250 billion pounds of milk that we have in this country, that is a, you know, a joke. And they did find a home for it. The problem is, AgriPore is the one that did it. Congressman Peterson explains what this company has done. They went in and bought this milk, but it's surplus milk, and they paid $7 a hundredweight less for it than everybody else is paying to take this milk off the market. Agripore is a Canadian co-op. It's owned by Canadian dairy farmers. They're the ones that basically rule the roost in the quota system in Canada. They're the ones that got the government to shut this loophole. And then they turn around and buy this stuff for seven bucks a hundred less and then redistribute it in the pool to all of our people. You know, the biggest problem in this whole deal is <laughs> that by letting Canada do what we let them do, they have now bought up a good portion of our uh, processing, manufacturing, and dairy. So the number three owner of processing in the United States is Saputo, Canadian corporation. The number five is Agripor, a Canadian co-op, although they operate as a corporation in the U.S., but they're owned by a co-op. They are bigger than Land O'Lakes, both of them. They're bigger than DFA, you know. And what has happened is they make so much money in Canada. A hundred cow dairy makes $400,000 net. A hundred cow dairy, 400000 net. They're getting 36 bucks a hundredweight for their milk. And the reason is they protect their market. You know, and so what happens? They're making all this money. What do they know about? They know about dairy. They can't invest in Canada. What do they do? They come to the United States. They buy us up. That's what's going on here. That is the big problem. And I don't think the administration understands what's going on here. Now, hopefully we can educate them. But, you know, I, uh, the reason I wouldn't support the TPP was because Froman could not get any kind of change from the Canadians on the supply management system. Comments from Congressman Peterson of Minnesota. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. In the grain markets today, we were significantly higher in the corn market. Soybeans ended lower, wheat mostly higher. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network as we talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. The WASDE report this morning, what stood out uh, in your mind? Well, first of all, let's just make sure you know this is like the starting point for the for marketing year, new crop wise. And uh, so, you know, if we started off with a big number, you got to overcome that with yield and supply loss in the future. Uh, if it starts small, you have a lot less to overcome as far as to get rallies. And I think we started a lot smaller than the market thought, especially on the corn side. Um, you know, 2.1 billion bushel carryout, if you start throwing in some different yield numbers there and maybe drop the acreage a little bit, you can look at stocks to use levels back to where they were in, in say, 2013, 2014. Uh, we're not that far from there. And I, I, I look at the prices here, and I'm, I'm trying not to be too bearish as we're just trading sideways, but that would be kind of my one takeaway here was that, one, the U.S. stocks, you know, even on a trend yield with 90 million acres, were shrinking. And then two, with the big crops that we're seeing down in Brazil and South America, and the trend yields factored in the U.S., we're having a smaller crop there as well. So global supplies are going to shrink. So you have those two kind of things 
that I think could help push the trade here. It felt like we had a lot of short covering today. Um, I would have liked to see us maybe push above that 375 level, but uh, that would be the kind of goal for tomorrow. Then next next test will be 380. I think we will see that at some point soon. Uh, again, producers have a big decision to make in between 380 and 390. It's how bearish are you or how bullish are you uh, with that old crop supply. Now, turning to wheat, the hard red winter wheat crop uh, was down roughly $350 million from last year, uh, but at the same time, a lot of this has been built in, right? You know, I don't know how. I don't know if that's the case or not. I think at this point we've seen these conditions uh, probably overshoot the last week, and then this last week I think we probably overshot the other way to the downside, and we're just trying to find a middle ground here. I still think there's a level of 460 in this thing in the July contract before I would even look at selling it. Um, a couple of things about the numbers. One, the world numbers were really big, but half of those world numbers exist in China. China is not a wheat exporter, and to be honest with you, I... You know, I, it's like smoke over there. I have no idea. They could be telling us that it's one number and 10, 15% less. So I, 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 you know, I wouldn't even factor that in. So when you start looking at these big world numbers that people are going to talk about in wheat, that is bearish. But longer term, I think the U.S. numbers and then the European numbers are drawn to come down because I think yields will continue to fall. So I think we've seen the high carryout for the year in, in wheat. I think the yields will continue to push it down in these next reports. Didn't have time to get the beans today. That was another good one as far as the U.S. numbers went. Thank you much. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. I'm Dewey Nelson.